0: Caught in a tree, so apologies if that is annoying. But don't worry, we've got a fantastic episode with the wonderful actor Nicholas Pinnock this week. Um, how have you been? It's Thursday, so we're hurtling towards the end of the week. And if you've been in the UK, what a glorious week. Weather-wise it's been. I mean, I'm not going to bang on about whether It's not a weather podcast. Um, but it's really, it's certainly lifted my spirits. Um, so, yeah, keep on that please weather we have no control in the uk it's probably gonna rain in a bit um but until it does let us enjoy the sunshine you've been out to a pub yeah yeah i went um last friday it was very nice it was slightly weird lots of people around um but we kind of got out of dodge after sort of an hour and a half or something before it all started to get a little bit messy um, not, no, not me, not other people. Um, Nicholas Pinnock. You're going to know him from ITV's Marcella. You'll know him from Top Boy, all sorts of stuff. Um, it's a really interesting episode this week. I mean, we, me, as you'll hear in the episode, me and uh, Nicholas, Nicholas and I have been in talks and discussions to get this pen down for we worked out three years. So a long time. And he does not disappoint. It does get slightly industry, I must admit. But what it is, it's still about Nicholas as a human and his ethics and his morals and what he stands for and what he won't stand for Um, and learning and the thirst for knowledge and uh, mental health. Um, Yeah, he's a a stand-up bloke. I really, really enjoy talking to him and I really hope you do too. So, this is the Two Shot podcast with the wonderful Nicholas Pennock. Enjoy, and I shall see you at the end. Honestly, Nicholas, I I've, <laughs> I've never seen I've never seen two grown men so excited that they can actually hear each other after the, oh, the tech issues that mate. we've had. It's lovely to oh. see you, lovely to hear
1: you. And I've, been, and I've been waiting to do this for so long. I know, the thing is... It's been years. I, I,
0: I sound like a broken record on this podcast sometimes, because it's like, I always go, oh, we've been trying to make these dates work forever, and we really have. Yeah. You know, me and yeah, you have been have. actively trying for what's yeah, what does seem like years.
1: Yeah, no, I think it is. I think it's about, been about three years, I think, when we first contacted, oh. we got in contact and... Started talking about the possibility of doing oh this. Oh my god! Yeah. And look, how are you, mate? Are you okay? I'm really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the only word I can describe is fucking epic.
0: This is great news. Yeah. The birds are singing in the background. I hear they are. Oh, do I need to close my window? No. <laughs> look, I love the atmos. It makes me oh good. It makes me feel good. that I'm back in a room with somebody. Does that mean I could open them up even look, more. Look, do that. Let's let let it in. It's a beautiful day. Um, yeah, it's lovely. So, I was thinking, and I was doing some reading about you. Yeah. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you remember being in Saudi Arabia, or were you too young?
1: I do remember. I was, um, yeah, I was... The uh, first time I went out there, I was, um, seven. And I never... And I came back when I was 12.
0: Was this for parents' work, obviously? Yeah, my dad was an
1: electrical engineer and my mother was a nurse.
0: What were your memories of being over there in Saudi Arabia? Because that's it's, a, it's a, a complete culture clash, surely.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was nothing but good memories. Really, my father worked on a um, worked for a German construction company, mm. and um, there was nothing but Germans on the camp, and, and a few. You know, I hate the term expats because it's sort of very elitist, and it, actually, we were you know we were immigrants. Um, and uh, there was lots of immigrants from all over the world um, living there, but the, it was a majority German. So if you didn't have basic German, you kind of couldn't get around, really. I went to an, uh, an international school there, so people from all over the world taught under a, an English system. It was, it was brilliant. It was really good. And then when I was nine, we moved to a place called Yambu um, and uh, went to an American international school. Right. Um, and that was um equally a lot of fun it was 1984 we had boomboxes and cardboard to break dance on the streets in the the you know, be- the best bas- these... the best year surely the best years oh of course of course yeah and it was it was it was amazing it was really really good um, great culture great people um it was a lovely experience i mean i it's really hard sometimes when you hear that you know Saudi Arabia is going through these human rights issues and everything and the, the whole world is looking at them and and you kind of go from from my point of view I can understand that you know we're in 2021 they're in 15 something uh-huh. and as a civilization they're not as advanced as we are that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to just let them go on and you know make the mistakes that we made but it wasn't so long ago that women couldn't um, apply for a credit card without having their husband sign yeah, for it. of course. You know, um, homosexuality was illegal up until the 1960s. We hung the last person in 67 or 69, I can't remember which year it was, but it was around that era, so actually we're not... So when they talk about, you know, um, chopping people's hands off and stoning people, you think, well, we're, only, we're not too far away from from that. Can we not have some compassion, <laughs> remember, that these you know, we were in the Stone Ages at yeah. one point and actually kind of give them a helping hand and say, listen, we kind of went down that route and it didn't work so well and, you know, maybe we can help you along and get there a bit quicker than mm. we did um, rather than pointing the finger and being so judgmental. Um, so I'm kind of protective about it because, uh, you know, it's a big part of my childhood and the people, I, I experienced nothing but um, but humanity and warmth and um, and kindness from, from Saudis.
0: Be saying that, do you you ever feel... Because I know sometimes, it's very rare, I think, certainly doing what we do, because Mm. you're... You know, you're forced into first day of school quite quickly on these new jobs and you have to forge these relationships. So you have to be warm, you have to be humane. And sometimes when Mm -hmm. that isn't returned, not not that you should uh, expect it, but certainly as a decent human being, it should be there. And sometimes when it isn't there, and it isn't reciprocated, I find that quite jolting. And it makes me
1: think, oh, well, is everybody like this? And of course they're not in this business. No, of course they're not. Of course they're not. Which is a shame. You know, you would like to think that people in the arts have an understanding Mm. and, um, you know, have a certain knowing that that's the case with everybody. But, you know, we're all riddled with such deep insecurities, aren't we, that, uh... Sometimes it's it's not easy to overlook that for everybody. But when you find the people it, it makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, and also if you find those people or you you are become one of those people or you learn to be one of those people that sticks their hand up and goes yeah, actually, no, I'm not all right with that, or I I am insecure about such-and-such and and X, Y, and Z. That's going to be okay, isn't it? Yeah, of course, because, you know what, so-and-so is exactly the same. And you know what, I have days like that when I'm exactly the same. So you go, oh, phew, right, it's great, it's not just me. And there's the acceptance, which I think is so important. Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And I think it's fantastic that you said how happy the childhood was, certainly there, because you've already touched on Moving to two different schools, and sometimes mm-hmm. you know, you want to get to school, you get your little tribe of friends, and then you stick with those for a few years, but then you're moving around. So, sometimes that can affect mm. a child. So, did that affect your confidence as a child? Or, I mean, it didn't, doesn't seem no, so. not at
1: all, not in the slightest. No, and actually, without thinking about it, it was good training for what it is that we do, right? Start, yeah, because we're constantly moving from school to school to exactly. school, and it's like people. People say to me, "Why are you nervous on your on your on on you know?" Because I I constantly say well, I'm, I'm, I get a new gig and I'm nervous. They go, "Why are you nervous? You've done this before." I said, "I've done I haven't done this role in this piece with these people before, so it's the first day at school. So every single time, it's like you have to make new friends, and you know you hope that they like you, and you hope you like them, and you know you hope that the classroom is you know." <laughs> really nice and you hope that the playtime is really good yeah. too, you know, and you find friends and you can, you know, you can play. And you hope to be flexible because,
0: because Absolutely. you want people to be flexible with you. So it's, it's yeah. nice. It's, it's a lot
1: of give and a lot of return, but yeah, it's exactly yeah. right. So it was, it was good training. It was, it was, um, and I didn't, I, I adapted very well because I had to, you know, and I think what, what I learned over there, especially um, when I went to, Yambu, the second place we ended up mm. in, at the American International School, was, um, and I, I, it was years later in therapy I realised this. This couldn't change. Colour of my skin couldn't change. But you wanted to assimilate and be as much like the masses as possible because you want to fit in. So this changed. And I walked around with an American accent. Really? Yeah. Only when I got home, when I was through the threshold of my door, I was switched back to British because my parents were not, not allowing me to speak with an American accent. But the moment I stepped in out with my American friends, when I was with them, I was, you know, people thought I was, you know, an American because I, you had to assimilate now. Kids from Nepal, kids from Sweden, kids from the Philippines, they all did exactly the same thing. Did they now? Because, yeah, yeah, because you code switch and assimilate because you want to fit in, because there's a lot of things about your appearance you can't mm. change, but how you sound you can, so all the kids walked around with an American accent. That is
0: so interesting. So for you, yeah. you know, starting out as a young actor, you were starting to train very early on and wanting to fit in.
1: And I, again, I didn't even realise no. that that was happening. But it was all by, you realise these things aren't coincidental, these are by design. Mm. Because by the age of four, I knew exactly what I wanted to do for a living. Mm. And then, you know, at seven, I started dancing. And then when I came back from Saudi Arabia at 12, I went straight into state school. And that was my, that's been my life for the past uh, 36
0: years. Where did the inspiration for the dance come in? Because seeing it, you know, a young boy <laughs> dancing—it's not. I mean, we've, you know, we've yeah. all seen Billy Elliot. We know certain certain stories <laughs> of that. But certainly, for sort of from our around our sort of age group, that would have been quite, certainly. And certainly for me, you know, there's a thing about you know being in the north, and certainly yeah. I, I, it was tough for me when you know I was. I said, you know, well, I want to be an actor. So mm. as much as we all wanted to fit in, I was, you know. Six foot four, skinny, you know, yeah. called Craig. There was nobody else called Craig at my school. I wanted to, I <laughs> said to someone the other day, I, went, I didn't want to be Craig. I wanted to be a John. I wanted to be a Daniel. I wanted to be a Mark. Yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. like football. I don't. I'm useless at it. Stick him in goal. That was where I was. <laughs>
1: you stood out enough being really tall, let alone having a name exactly.
0: like Craig. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, everything was against me. Plus, then I go, yeah, yeah. I want to be an actor. Because um, yeah. we all wanted to fit in. So, Certainly a boy
1: dancing. Yeah. I blame my sister. Okay. My sister has been one of my biggest inspirations. So she started dancing at this local um, church hall, the Yvonne Pearl School of Dance. And, um, you know, went to pick her up one day with my mum and I went in there and I saw all these girls dancing. And my sister was there and I went, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I want to join. So I ended up doing, that was my first experience. I ended up doing um, uh, dance classes there, tap and ballet and modern and all sorts of things. Yeah. And then I just, again, I just, it was, it was another confirmation for me having decided at four that I wanted to be one of those people in that square thing in the corner of the room that made these people, my family react like that. I wanted to be just, I wanted to be in there. And then seeing Elvis Presley and Cannonball and all sorts of variety people, I went, yeah, that's, that's my life. That's my life. So then dancing was like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. And then to go to stage school at 12 and um, get my first job on the first day I landed and did an audition, I was like, yeah, this is heaven. So by the time I got to 14, I had deliberately um, decided to f- forego my GCSEs because I thought if I had something to fall back on, I'd probably fall back on it. I wouldn't make this Mm. work. I want to make this work. So if I don't give myself an out, I'm going to stay in. So you're going to put all the eggs
0: in that basket so then there is no choice. You just have to graft and work.
1: Absolutely. And if it doesn't work, then I'm fine. (laughs)
0: Look, I've always said to, to younger actors, you know, this business is precarious enough. You have to... Oh, work, yeah. work, work and oh, yeah. face that rejection because it's in the post, you know Oh yeah. I, I oh, was yeah. doing something last year for some students in Manchester and we were having a big old chat because they were um, putting on one of their third year shows on Zoom and it and mm. amazing yes. for them they were brilliant but, ha- but yeah. I, f- I, I had to talk to them after I said I'm really sad that you have to do this because you shouldn't be having to do this after three years mm. of training, you should be out there. And then I was talking to them about, you know, this. in a way, this is your first part of rejection, because you should have been doing this on stage in front of an audience, but you're not. You're doing it online, and it's a little bit sad, but you've success, but that's done. And, I, and then the director afterwards was texting me and saying, you shouldn't have told them about rejection, that's not right. I said, whoa, well, whoa, whoa. I think it's vital that they're told about Absolutely. Because I was thinking, I wish there was somebody who was as honest as me, who spoke to me in my third year, in in a very realistic sense, Um, as honest as it is sometimes uh, to hear... It's it's very it's very yeah. it's tr- it's another bit of training that you can stick in your your rucksack that
1: you carry around Absolutely. all the time. It's
0: there for you because well, you
1: can you can teach acting, you can teach dance, you can teach singing, you can teach all these things. But you need people to teach you the industry, and that's luckily what I got at stage school. Because when I was when I was there, I was at a stage school called Corona Academy in Hammersmith, and we did like Emu's World and you know Grange Hill and all sorts of stuff when I was a kid. Um, but we had, all of our teachers were on the West End or on variety shows or in films or on TV programmes because they had all been to the school previously or just gotten jobs teaching in their spare time. So we had all these major professionals teaching us not only the craft, but the industry as well, and it was absolutely valuable. That is so vital because as as incredible...
0: As the teachers are, and I'm blanketing now, this is nothing specific at all, but teachers who mm. uh, tutor there day in, day out, week in, week out, term by term at drama school, amazing, amazing. They're given groundings of oh, training. Oh, they are,
1: absolutely. But, no well, doubt.
0: I remember when. Uh, guest directors and lecturers and tutors would come in who were current who were working in the business today would come in and then you'd you'd shine a light on something that wasn't touched upon because they they were Mm. they were out there working or directing today so there's a i think there always needs to be a nice balance with that
1: certainly the industry changes yeah the industry changes and what was you know what was industry standard or norm 15 years ago has kind of shifted now.
0: Absolutely.
1: And so the, the constant... So when you've got someone who's out there on, on the floor actually doing it and bringing that to the students, it's, it's amazing. When did
0: the... Because it sounds to me, and I know that, you know, dance and music was something that was a big part of the training at first. Mm. When did it switch? That Not necessarily that you turned your back on it, but you, you wanted to be more focused and led... By acting, I suppose, quote unquote, acting, putting into that box.
1: So I think what what happened was I I went to uh, after stage school. I went to a performing arts um, like college mm. really, in King's Cross. And
0: how uh, old were you now, Nicholas? Yeah. Like d- late teens. I was sixteen, 16 at this right, point. Okay,
1: sixteen. Yeah, I was like a couple of weeks sixteen. Actually, I was the youngest entrant into the college at that time. And we did basically everything I was doing at school, but just without the academics. And we did it all day long, and it was absolute Mm -hmm. bliss. And I became quite good at everything. I was what, you know, I was a triple threat. I could sing, dance, and act to professional standard. And I made a conscious decision that while I was young and fit and I could still do it and enjoy it, I was going to spend a lot of time dancing. Um, But in the back of my mind, I always knew that acting was where I was going to end up. Um, And so I joined a contemporary dance company straight after I left. And um, uh, I didn't end up in the West End because I figured that I'd looked at people who had done it before me, figured if I'd gotten into doing West End, I wouldn't be able to transition into acting so easily. So I avoided that. Just kept dancing. I got roped into, I did some modelling and I was always coming back and doing, you know, an episode of something or a couple Mm. of episodes or something or a a bit of theatre. I was always doing bits and pieces. And then when I turned 30, I just said, right, that's it, not doing this anymore. And literally started saying no to anything else other than acting.
0: Which I think, and I've said this before, I'm sure I've said this on air before, that Mm. I think that is such a powerful thing to say. Is to say no. It's a scary thing to do. Oh, it's your biggest superpower. It's exactly that, my friend. Exactly that. Um, To say no, and eventually, some there will come a change because that's the only power that you have at that at that time. Is to say no.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we all know how scary it is, but it's scary for that window, that very small window, and then after it, there's a release, and then there's, uh, uh, you know a sense of pride, a sense of power, and then we move on.
1: Absolutely. But it is, it's an, you know, it's a, it's a performer's only, only thing that they control is, is what they don't mm. do. Um, you know, what you do is, is kind of here or there because you audition, you audition, you audition. If you get a role, you may do it. Um, but say, even saying no to auditions and going, that's not the type of work I want to do, I need money, do I do it or not? Is it gonna help my career? No. Uh, will not doing it help my career and leave the door open for something else? Yes. <sighs> okay, I'm gonna say no.
0: You've gotta roll the dice. You really have. You have to. But also, I, I think that's really important what you said there about even turning down an audition because I've always think, mm. I've always thought, if you can't see yourself doing it right, Why would you, one, waste your time, waste somebody else's time, then if they turn around and, like, you get offered it, and then you say no, they go, well, fucking hell, you've just, we've gone through all this, you've got everybody's hopes up, you could have just...
1: But it's, you know, it's part of the conditioning of the industry, though, isn't it? You know, you're conditioned to, well, they've got a job, and they're offering it to you, take it, of course you do, because it's such a unpredictable Mm. business and you never know when you're going to work again. And you're fed this whole rhetoric all the time that you can't, um, it's very difficult to get to that point where you actually take ownership of your decisions. Um, And I think actors need to, you know, really, really need to understand that what they don't do is in often cases more important than what they end up doing because one yes can ruin your career. And many no's can enhance it.
0: I think you're absolutely on the money there, definitely.
1: You know, but it's, but it's hard. I mean, I... You know, people often say to me, no, but you're in a position to say no. And I have to remind them, I was saying no when I was 30 grand in debt, working in a hotel, having two jobs as a, an acting and voice coach, having someone live in my spare room because I had a mortgage to pay, which I was three months in arrears right. in. right. And I was paying the minimum on my credit cards. And I was still turning down work and saying no, because it was not the type of work that would have gotten me um, the work that I'm doing now, and we would not even be chatting on this podcast. Put it that way.
0: I mean, we focus quite clearly on training at the moment, and you were touching on some Mm. stuff in your personal life there. so. You weren't just floating around saying no and waiting. You were out there grappling other jobs. As you say,
1: you were working in a hotel. And... Oh, I had to. And I would do that tomorrow if I had to. Because I made a conscious decision when I was young. Um, and I, was, I was a child. I was about maybe 13. Um, and I had done this... Uh, do you remember Thames Television? Absolutely. Yeah. I, do you remember the programmes that you used to make for schools and television? Yes. Yeah. So I did a few of those and I remember doing one and really, really, really loving it. So, I so and thought I remember, you were going to say the opposite then. No. <laughs> I re- I, Craig, I hated it so much. <laughs> no, I absolutely loved it. And, I re- and at that point, I kind of, as something kicked in and I realized that I will never use this industry to make money. Never. I will never use this industry to make money or make a living out of it. If that happens, amazing. But, if, but I'm not going to go, how much is it? And actually, I need the money. If I need money, I'm going to find that elsewhere. Because the moment you start using this industry because you need to pay bills, you, what you end up doing is start taking things you don't really want to do. You end up, therefore, the self-loathing grows and you start to hate your job and it becomes a job and your love for the industry dies completely and then your dreams are shattered Absolutely. and I knew that I couldn't let that happen to me so I would rather make money doing something I hated doing and then only leave this as a passion and something I really love doing and hope that eventually the day would come where I could have my passion, love what I'm doing and make a living out of it Mm. and I'm so glad that I did because I've gotten to that stage and life is fucking
0: epic. And it takes time. Oh, and I think it's such a good mindset to have is if you need to make money, I, I, I'll find that and I'll work harder somewhere else. But to go into yeah. this, you know, walking this tightrope all the time in this business and thinking, yes, I'm in it to make a load of dough. It's the right... Yeah. That's the wrong reasons. And also... And it, it, it,
1: go on. It is the wrong reasons, for, but there are some people that do that and all they want is either fame or they want money. And I don't judge it because, you know, but I go, well, you know, the quality of your work's not mm-hmm. right. And, you know, you're, um, you're... You don't really understand the industry in the way that I want to understand mm-hmm. the industry. And, and all, all power to you. If that's... If your remit is to make money, fantastic. Keep doing the shit you're doing, and if your remit is to be famous, ah, go ahead. It's not for me. It's not for me. You go and make all the money you like. All the money you like. Be famous, be rich, do what you want. I want to be satisfied. I want to be happy. I want to be proud of the work that I deliver. And so, for me, fees are nothing. It's like, how much... I don't... I never ask how much it is until I get the job. And then once I get the job, then you go and negotiate your, your heart out. But... Up until that point, I'm not interested. Yeah, because you It's funny, go you know... Go on, go on, sorry, go on. You, know, you, know, you know how the in, in America, they um, they give you all the information, they go, this is what it is per episode, and I keep, And, I've, and I, the first time it happened, I went, this will never happen again. Don't ever tell me how much it is, because I'm not interested. If I either like the job, I want to be a part of the story, and the role is something that scares the shit out of me that I feel I have to mm. do, or I'm not doing it. No amount of money is going to make me do a show. Um, and it's a really... I find that really... Um, It gives me so much liberty and freedom from all the other bullshit that comes with, you know, that comes with our job. Because all I want to do is the work. But also... Everything else is irrelevant.
0: It puts everything aside, but it puts one thing into focus, the the right thing into focus, and that's the role. That's the part. That's what speaks to you. It's not uh, someone waving a a checkbook with loads of noughts on the end of it. That's
1: right. Because our job is, you know, we have one job and one job only, and that is to... um, We have one job and one job only, and that is to tell the story. Mm. My job is not to be rich. My job is not to be famous. My job is to tell the story as an actor. And that's what I want to do, and that's what I want to do at all costs.
0: And as you say, walk away at the end of the day and be proud... Yeah. of ..of hopefully what you're delivering. Yeah. So, we touched briefly there on sort of your personal life about yeah. what you were doing when because at the moment what, you're, what I'm getting is there isn't much time for a personal life because <laughs> there's <laughs> if, if you're not doing what you love you're doing something you don't particularly love because
1: yeah.
0: there needs to be food on the table and there's mortgages to pay and there's, yeah. there's a lodger to wake up in the spare room um, yeah. So how did that well, affect... Well, if they don't have that anymore. <laughs> well, no, I, I would have hoped not. But, you know, needs must. <laughs> and uh, we all know what it's like. Absolutely. If it happens again, that spare oh, room's oh, open and me. someone's going in it. Tell me um, about it. Tell me about it. How, how, how was the business affecting you as a person? Because we all need downtime. Mm. So did that affect you? Were you? Did you find yourself that you were maybe sometimes too focused or you were too, had the mindset of of working too hard? Because what I'm getting from you is that you want the knowledge and you want a graft.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, back then I had, uh, it was twofold really. Hmm. I was, 15 years ago I had a mental breakdown. Okay, and you know i was <clears throat> I was in a situation where i was I was struggling, and uh, things you know life got on top of me, and it became too overwhelming, so I had a breakdown now, the only thing that saved me, my only safe space and comfort zone was work, whereas some people can 't work mm-hmm. that 's the one thing I could do so when i wasn 't getting the roles that I wanted and i wasn 't um being fulfilled in the offers that were coming to me, it did become something that, you know, wore away at me. Um and so I, you know, there were times in the hotel when I was, you know, carrying someone's luggage up to the to the uh to the room and, you know, earning five pounds eighty an hour and eight hour shifts with a half hour break, sometimes doing double shifts because I needed to go. That I just thought, when when is this going to stop? when am I going to, you know, get back on stage or when am I going to get back in front of the camera because I kind of need that to feed my mental health mm. and, 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 and give myself some space away from all of this. Um, and so it was, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of stressing at the time. But I also knew that if I ended up just going, okay, I'm going to do anything just to soothe that beast that it was going to end up being far worse for me. So I had to be sh- even stronger in my power of, no, not doing that. No, not doing that. yeah, No, I don't want to go up for that audition. Even knowing my situation. You know, so the mental health and the financial situation. Um, but again, you know, the money they were offering me was never going to be, you know, uh, was never going to be... on. on an, an option for me to take the job. No. Um, and the job itself for the things that I was being offered were never gonna be roles and stories that were gonna um soothe my soul and make me feel worthy and help me grow and learn because they just they just weren't in that register. I wasn't frightened of the roles. And I wasn't hungry to be a part of the story. Because anything I do now... So I'm going off to uh, do a gig in Romania for seven months. And I am shit scared. Really? Because, yeah, because the role frightens the hell out of me. But when it frightens the hell out of me, I know, it's, I know that's the one I have to do.
0: Is that, is that always something that always has to be, like, in your contract to take a, a role? that it, needs, it yeah. needs to be fresh and it needs to be scary for you as yeah. an actor.
1: Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's where I know I'm gonna grow. And I don't know what growth looks like. I don't know how it feels. I don't know what's at the other end. No. And so it's the fear of the not knowing. Can I, can I do this role justice? Can I tell my part in this story in a worthy way? Can I deliver? I don't have that answer no. yet. But that's, but <laughs> in, in a way, it's the
0: contrast. It's the beauty and the darkness Of the business that is appealing, and also absolutely the fact that gaining the knowledge never ends, because because whoa, we're at this school for a few months, and then we'll graduate that, and then we move on to something else, and we're learning something else, and we'll graduate from that. It'd be very different. It'd be very very different. Very different to the last school. Yeah, and. I'm hopefully I'm going to get on with people and hopefully I'm going to do it in a way. But I don't know and I'm terrified, yeah. but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to jump back to mm-hmm. during the tar- the darker times for you, the, or certainly, or certainly yeah. the tougher times. Um, and, I, and, yeah. I don't, and I know me and you, were, we've spoken quite openly together about things like yes, this have, before. Yeah. Um, and I certainly mm-hmm. think it's something that, you know, we should have a discussion about more and more. And I know that, you, you know, you, you're oh, you, course, you're, yeah. a, you're an ambassador for Mind, which we'll, we'll come on to later, who do fantastic work. And yeah. I've shouted them out a lot of times on here. Um, it's very interesting that you had that clarity of thought that you knew that work was the safe space for you, yeah. But having said that, you weren't going to go back on your own sort of contract that you have for yourself and just take anything going just, as you say, to feed the bees. That wasn't going to happen.
1: Oh, yeah. It was a real minefield. Mm. Yeah. It was really it was really hard. It Was, um,
0: was it a, was it a, a, a it was slow bad. progression, Nicholas, or did this uh, did this happen? Did you I suppose did you gain clarity that some things weren't right for you? before the breakdown, or did it did it, did it just manifest itself yeah. and blow up in your face, so to speak?
1: No, I, I, I'd been depressed since childhood. Um, when I look back on the therapy that I had, it was very clear that I'd been depressed, you know, in childhood and during my teenage years and my early 20s. And I remember in my early 20s speaking to a friend of mine saying, I need to speak to something, something's not right. And then literally switching it off and never doing anything about it. Then I turn 30 and I can feel this, you know, energy building, and I can't quite figure out what it is. And then by the time 33 came, it felt like I'd been just disconnected from the world and everything and everyone in it. Mm. Um And I couldn't function anymore. I literally could not function on a day-to-day level. Did you, did you, did you find yourself sh- uh, shutting yourself
0: away from the outside world, or did you, did you begin to sort of reach out?
1: No, I shut myself away. But I had no choice but to, you know, I had no choice but to um, uh, receive help because I I literally couldn't function. I couldn't eat, I couldn't stop eating, I couldn't cry, I couldn't stop crying, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't stop sleeping, I couldn't talk, I couldn't stop talking. I was lost, absolutely lost. Um, So I had no choice but to go into therapy Mm. or else it would have been, you know, the suicidal thoughts would have, become an act um
0: were they uh, were they, were those which, thoughts there were they there were they very real for you at the time
1: oh absolutely right. and and they still are you know but there is a difference between the thoughts and the act of of suicide mm. and i've now you know back then the thoughts were so so powerful you know i would stand at the edge of a balcony and i'd even put my leg over once and you know, that was it. It was time to jump. That was that was going to happen. Um, and then subsequently something stopped me every time. But I understand now that even when they do arise in dark moments, that ah, it's just a thought. Yeah, it's just a thought of it. Fine. And it can come and go and not have the power and the strength that it did because I've done so much work to understand where mm. they are and to understand me a lot more and to understand my mental health and to embrace it, actually, rather than fight against it the whole time. Because I think that is far more tiring than actually just going, okay, we are going to stay in bed today? Great, come on then. Let's just stay in bed for another few hours yeah. if you don't feel like yeah. that up. Because the weight of you is too much for me to fight with right now. Fine, I'm just going to stay in bed. And I did that a few Sundays ago. I didn't get, get didn't get out of bed until five o'clock in the afternoon. And then, you know, I said to it, should we go and get some food? Yeah, come on then. You know, it works with me now as opposed to against you. Yeah, but also you're the one that's asking the questions and you're
0: the one that's taking control instead of it can take control of you. And because, as you said, you've done more work, so you've done more graphs, so you've gained more knowledge about this and within yourself. So therefore, you've now control over it. Yeah. But how can you control something that you have no knowledge over? Which is why, you know, to reach out and to seek help, you know, yeah. with professionals is, is fucking vital
1: before it eats you up. Well, I think we, we go to the gym because we want to get stronger bodies and stronger muscles and we want to be fitter. But we shun therapy, which is exactly the same thing for the
0: mind. Mm. Yeah.
1: Doesn't make sense no. to me doesn't make sense to me at all. And I think we, you know, we need to, as a society, as global societies, we need to rethink our focus on mental and physical health and not see them as separate, first of all, and not see one as more important than the other. Yep. And right now, physical health is more important than mental health because you can see when physical health is deteriorating or it's not very, you know, it doesn't function. If someone breaks a leg, you can see it. But I I know I have to say sometimes now, you know, um, people ask me how I am, I say, I'm not feeling very well. You look all right. And I have to point to my head. (laughs) Yeah. Because they just assume that, you know, you look great. You know, how can you not be well? You don't sound like you've got a cold. No, I've got fog Mm. up in here. And things are not right. I'm really not feeling well. So I can't come out and play today. Yeah, I was explaining
0: to my almost 10-year-old about it because Mm. the school when everything was, and I don't want to talk about what we've all been through that much on here, because there's a time and a place mm. for that, but this is kind of in conjunction sure. with what we were talking about. The school were talking yeah. about, you know, when we come back to school, everything's going to be a bit different, but we're here to talk. You know, sometimes if you feel a bit sad within in yourself, in your mind, that's OK, we can talk about it. So we were, I was having this discussion with him at home, and I was saying, and he was trying to... In his, you know, he's almost 10, he's just constantly asking questions, and sometimes I just, oh, I just, don't, have, I just don't have the answers for him. But yeah, I was saying, yeah. I said, so, right, so when we break our arms or we break our legs and the doctors go mm. and they put a cast on and we can go, oh, look, they can see, that the, they can get an x-ray, they can see the bone is broken and they know what they need to do. I said, but sometimes if you sort of fracture or you break your mind... No-one can really see that at first, so yeah. it takes a bit longer to delve into it, and the special people uh, who can really talk to you and find out what's going on, but we just need to begin discussions about it. He went, OK, right, so he kind of got it a bit more when I, when I use that sort of Brilliant. analogy. Um, but, yeah. you know, I would not only say that to a, an almost 10-year-old, I would kind of use that for anybody. It's just it seems to, to me to Absolutely. be so clear and concise about yeah. what it is. Um,
1: yeah, and I think I think as actors, as performers, I think um, something very special happens with us. And I don't think most people, and I, I actually don't think most actors realise this, that our subconscious has no idea that we're acting. And so it releases exactly the same chemicals as if we we're angry or if we're horny or if we're you know, uh, grieving, or if we are jealous, if we're happy, our bodies release the same chemicals because the subconscious has no idea. Mm. So when we are dealing with the darker sides of the characters that we're playing, what happens is we leave at the end of the day. Our conscious mind knows that this is a job. Our subconscious has no idea. So we leave at the end of the day and we're carrying these chemicals that don't actually belong to us. Yeah. Because we are the vessel for these characters we sometimes find it difficult separating what's ours and what's theirs. And that can cause so much confusion, which is why I think, I truly believe that's why a lot of us end up in therapy, AA, NA, OA, all the other, SLAR, you know, all these things, because our behaviour and our acting out is not necessarily born out of our own stuff, but the stuff that we're carrying from our characters that we haven't let go of yet. Mm-hmm. And I think there is some, you know, specific therapy that um, we need. And I'm trying to desperately um, start a, a fund to, uh, and a campaign to make sure that we have, as well as physical first aiders on sets and in theatres, that we have mental health first aiders as well. Because some of the things that our characters have to go through can be quite dark. Oh, absolutely. And really knock on the door of some of our stuff that feels very similar and attach itself to that stuff that feels similar, mm-hmm. therefore making us think that our stuff has come up again and we're never getting rid of it when really it belongs to, to him or her.
0: Exactly. I mean, that is so interesting. I think it's vitally important what you're saying because, of course, look, when we're on set and we're dealing with firearms, we've got an armourer. To show us what to do. If we've got a complicated right. fight scene, we have a stunt coordinator who's a professional who will show us how to do things safely. If yeah. I'm if I'm playing, and I have done, you know, quite dark characters that would do truly awful, abysmal things that yeah. you that, that you read about in the papers and that you don't want to read about because you don't want you want to shun that news away because it's too real. Sometimes yeah. my little boy. um when he was much younger, he was mad into Bob the Builder, I'm going off on a tangent now, and I got, Neil, no, go I, I got Neil Morrissey to ring him up and leave him a happy birthday message <gasps> and, uh, 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 as, as Bob the Builder. And, yeah. um, and I played oh, it lovely. to him and the look in his face he was terrified he went too real too real he couldn't handle it he just couldn't handle it that it was, it was too real that Bob was calling him it freaks him out and that's sometimes <laughs> sometimes what I, what I feel when I, when I hear or I read something uh, you know read something in the, in the newspaper or on the radio and I just think to myself this is too real man this is too real I don't need this darkness in my yeah. life but that's yeah. the thing there's nobody there to help me after that or help you or help anybody else after we've gone down the route of playing yeah. such a dark path because where's the aftercare there? If a stunt, if a stunt yeah. goes wrong, that's OK. We've got paramedics on set. that can hopefully, it if it's wrong not wrong. too awful injury, they can patch it up and sort it out. But... If, I, if you're going home at night, I mean, you go home at night anyway, whether you come off stage or you come off set, and there, there is a reason why you're not going straight to bed, because, as you, said, you mentioned, exactly. we've got all these chemicals buzzing around, and that's why it takes time to, to, to yeah. come down off that ledge. But if you're still thinking about those thoughts or the subconsciouses, who, where's the aftercare there? So I think what you're saying is really, really interesting and vitally important moving forward.
1: You think about the amount of times you've done a play and how many actors end up in a pub every single night after a
0: performance.
1: 95%. Exactly. Because you're trying to medicate and you're trying to get rid of those thoughts and feelings that you don't really understand. Um, And it's exhausting. And I think, you know, I think we need... um, There is specific care that we need as a community, as actors... um, and performers but it's you know it's, it's 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 also stage managers it's also directors it's also writers that are in the room or on the floor experiencing these things with you because it can trigger some of their own stuff too
0: Absolutely I think it's the I think it's the whole team Yeah absolutely because everybody's yeah. The great thing is, that, you know, I think less and less now, you know, there's no, and maybe it's just the fact that we're getting older and we see it more clearly, but there is no us and them mm. anymore. There's no us and them. There's no sort of hierarchy no, there from, is, there from is. you know, from the execs. Uh, and I don't say down, I say across to, you know, the runner yeah. who's just started. We're across, we're all yeah. on the same team. Um, and it affects everybody because everybody's trying to do their job the best they can. Yeah.
1: And I just hope that, um, you know, we can make something work so that the theatres, you know, the BBC, uh, all the channels, all the studios can mm. slowly start to really take this seriously and care for the people that, um, you know, that are trying to deliver entertainment, essentially. for Because you think about it. Every time you watch a piece of TV or film or you go to a the theatre and you're laughing or crying or in shock with the mm. actors... If it's moving you that much, if it's moving you to tears, let's say, what's the actor going through to actually make us feel that way? To the power of ten, to what Oh, yeah, it? you
0: would think so, wouldn't you?
1: You know, um, and it's... And you can... You know, you can clearly see the after-effects of, of the damage that it can often do, you know? And that's, yeah, it, is,
0: it is so important, but we've got to keep talking about this. Will you keep me in touch um, about how you of get going I'll... about this? I know, yeah,
1: that'd be really yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, of course. I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll send you a proposal that I've been working on and you can give me some notes. Oh, I don't know
0: about that, but I'll certainly support whatever you do, man. <laughs> um,
1: was
0: it, did you find it, was it a conscious decision to, to go to the States and certainly, you know,
1: take work over there? <laughs> Uh, so that's a whole other story So I never wanted to go to the station I, I thought that, I, I did think that I um, <laughs> I'd always said um, I work quite well here I like working over here and, and it wasn't an arrogant thing It was a feeling thing But I'd always said If America wants me They'll find me You know If they want me They will They will come and get me Because I didn't see, I didn't and I don't see America as being the holy grail for acting and performing. It's, you know, and you get, there's more opportunities because they have a wider range of um, films and TV programs and channels and things like that. So it's just, I see where it's, you know, the next step. But for me, it's not the all and everything. I was making a living out of my job and um, I really enjoyed the work I was getting here. I figured if it happened, it would happen, but I wasn't going to go chasing for it. Yeah. Um, so then I, I never went out to do pilot season. I never uh, really fought for jobs over there. And I always said, the only way I'm going to go out there is if I'm working. And I don't know why I said that. It was just something I felt. Then after, um, you know, some years, a manager from the States contacted my agent and said, you know, does he have representation? I said, he, like, they said, you know, no. You know, does he want to talk to us? So I set up a Skype meeting and um, met with the, my current manager now and I said, look, I'll give it a year. If nothing happens, then I'm kind of good. But, you know, I'm not going to move out to the States and I'm not going to stay there. I said, So if it's going to happen, it's going to happen from self-taping and me being over here, but I'm not interested in you know, living over there. Um, and they said, okay, fine. And eventually things started to come my way. I was turning down a lot of stuff because it just didn't seem like the right sort of stuff for me. Again, there's, there's, there's so a pattern weird. here. There's a theme. There I'm, is, there is li- I'm there's liking it. <laughs> <laughs> and my manager said to me, listen, you're not going up for anything. We have to put you out there and let people see that you're, you're doing stuff. So can you just like, put yourself on tape for something? I said, okay, do you know what? Up the next 10 you send me, whatever it is, I'll put myself on tape and I'll send it out there. I said, but if there are things that I don't want to do, that's on you because I'm not going to end up doing them. And after that 10, I'm going back to doing things my way. And he said, okay, fine. Thank you. Just so turns out that within that 10, counterpart. Right. And I got the job. I went over there and that was my first, uh, you know, US experience. And then from there, it just kind of has kept going. But I knew that that was going to be my route because I knew the cattle market-style pilot season Mm. thing wasn't going to work. And I've seen friends... While I was out there, I saw friends doing, you know, 13 auditions a week and all 11 to 15 pages long. And by by day three, the quality of their work just isn't any good. So how are they going to get a job in the first place? How
0: can anybody... Do that. I remember when I was in New York, and I was going. I, I can't possibly do this. It's physically yeah, impossible it's for me to go into a room for all of what a few minutes and try and deliver to the best of my ability. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm just not going to do it because I always, you know, I say to people, well, the last thing they're going to remember is that is is you going in for that audition? Yeah. Oh no. We, well, we yeah. saw we saw them do that, and you know what? They were terrible. They don't know that you've had. Seven auditions that day. They don't know that something bad's happened in your life, and you're bringing that into the room, and it's 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 conflicting exactly. with your work. They don't know, so go in there, yeah. and you know.
1: And it's also that thing of um, oh, you've got an audition tomorrow. <laughs>
0: no, I haven't. <laughs> and my, that's exactly my answer. I, go, <laughs> I tell no, you what,
1: they want it in by nine o'clock.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, not it's not going to happen.
1: But here's mm. the thing: what you realise is, you know, they always go, okay, you can do, do it next week. You go, Why don't you just head it the fucking first. That's place? exactly my point. <laughs> Exactly. But as actors, we are all sort of conditioned to be so beholden to them, whoever they are, because they have the jobs that we want. So we end up doing backflips, trying to get those jobs and really taking back a bit of, a bit of ownership and power in self and going, my performance is not going to be very good if I deliver it to you tomorrow and I've stayed up till three o'clock in the morning trying to learn 15 pages worth of script mm. I'm actually... Do you know what? It's not for me. I'm out. If that's what you want from me, it's best you get it from someone else. I'm not your guy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, And I'm I'm okay with that. (laughs) But I think, you
0: know, it's like what we are saying before, you know, when we're on the floor and there's no us and them and there's no sort of beholding to the producer. It's like, we're a team. We're working together. Let's have a... If we have a difficulty, which inevitably we will, because there's always problems, Mm. so we sit down and we discuss how we can, you know negotiate the best way to play this out, because we've all got different... Yeah. We, we, we've all sat at home, done our prep, and thought, oh, this is going to be what it's like, and this is the location, this is how it's going to work. Inevitably, yeah. that isn't how it's going to be, because, <laughs> because the world doesn't fucking revolve around you, and it revolves around no, other exactly. people, and it's a balance. Yeah. And it's about yeah. listening, and it's about acceptance. Um, yeah. But, yeah, more and more, I think you're right about taking back that ownership and... Yeah, it's, how many times have we screamed, why didn't you say that in the first place? In first place, yeah. Don't make out. Yeah, you're, don't, you're the one that's starting this. Don't do that, let's work together. You want to cast it. I, I, at this stage, I kind of want to do it. Let's try and work together to see yeah. if we can make that a possibility.
1: But here's the worst thing, I think, about the industry that happens at that thing, is that at some point, once the power shifts, or you get to a certain level in your career that they feel they can't treat you like that anymore, you all, all of a sudden you start getting treated differently because some things that happened, you know, that would have happened to me 10 or 15 years ago, there's no... It's just It just doesn't happen anymore because apparently I've gotten to a certain level or, you know, you and I have gotten to a certain level that, you know, you can now see the whole script. Why couldn't I see the whole script 15 years ago?
0: Only show the children what they need to know. <laughs> And yeah, it's do you know what I mean? You know, how, is it now? Like, how is it now I get on. a week
1: to prepare... I get a week now to prepare, um, you know, a self-tape before I got a couple of days? What, why? Because I wasn't considered, you know, a worthy enough actor or I hadn't reached a level that was um, worthy of that amount of respect?
0: Nicholas, um, honestly, I'm so... Despite... Uh, are mad tech issues which the listeners won't even know because producer Griff is just going to splice this thing together it's going to be sweet as a nut um, it's been an absolute delight I, I'm I'm Sorry, we have time restraints, but no doubt I've got a feeling we may be we no. may be speaking again. Can we do
1: this again? <laughs> I've, I've
0: got a feeling that's going to happen because I've thoroughly thoroughly yeah, enjoyed I think it, it. and uh, I can't wait till the sun shines again and we can uh, meet up in real life and wander through a lovely Absolutely. park.
1: Absolutely. No, well let's do let's, let's let's yeah let's do that let's do that. And I want to work with you. I'm gonna am I'm trying to find something for all the people I want to work with, and you are on my list. Stick me really on that really list. Really want to make yeah. that happen at some point.
0: It'd be an absolute delight. I have a feeling it would get on very, very well. Yeah, me too. Me too. Nicholas Pennock, you're an absolute joy. You take care and loads of love, my friend. Lots of love. Take
1: care to you, man. Bye. Thanks,
0: buddy. Bye. And another episode is done. How about that? I know you'd enjoy it. What a fantastic human being. And we um, we did kind of run out of time because um, we both had other things to do, but I think you can hear that we both really got on and, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to have Nicholas back on the podcast, definitely. Um, we'll see how his trip to Romania was. Um, one thing that we briefly touched on, uh, we mentioned that, Nicholas is an ambassador for mind and certain topics that we delved into on this episode. So if you feel that you are not coping with certain things in your life at the moment, there are amazing charities such as mind that you can talk to. And uh, I would strongly urge you to do that Um, and seek help because there is always somebody there to talk to. Remember that. Okay. Okay right so uh i'm off i'm gonna go on the school run the joy of the school run um so until next week uh keep getting in touch with us downloading subscribing do tell your friends if you are feeling flush and you like the podcast and you'd like to support us we are on patreon.com forward slash the two shot podcast and there's loads of tears there um a pound a month three pound a month whatever you want to spare if you're enjoying all the work that myself and producer griff uh, have been uh, churning out over these years you know how much we love it and we'll just keep doing it shall we yeah seems like a good thing to do in these times keep the conversation going so until next week i've been craig parkinson he's been producer griff and this has been the two shot podcast thanks so much for joining us We'll see you next week. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.